you know, when you're looking at the Bengals, you're looking at their defense. But from Jamar Chase's game, what can you appreciate when you look around? Um, I mean, just the long ball that uh, I think uh, Burrow threw to him um, on like a 70-yard bomb, just how effortlessly he caught the ball. So uh, he's just a great receiver. Um, tip my hat off to him with, you know, what he's done the first three years in the league. Um, so, um, you know, it'll be fun to watch uh, Sunday, but I think it's going to get the best of him. Hey, he ain't doing nothing but just praising his teammate, though. You know what I'm saying? That's what he's supposed to do. At the end of the day, it's, it's about game time, representing game time decisions. So... He's going to get the opportunity to get his matchups and, and just see who win that matchup. I don't know why DK Metcalf would. I mean, why would you want to stir up Jamar Chase after he has three touchdowns? And you've got this secret weapon in Devin Witherspoon, who was pretty damn good against the Giants 11 days ago. Why do you want to write that check on behalf of a teammate and put him in a spot where Jamar Chase is going to be stirred up? And I don't know that Devin Witherspoon is going to be locked up on Jamar Chase everywhere he goes. Pete Carroll likes using Devin Witherspoon with flexibility. A little outside, a little inside, blitz off the corner, do all sorts of things. This guy's a combination of Rondé Barber and Troy Polamalu potentially with his instincts and that that chess piece dynamic where he can go anywhere and be anything at any time. But why would you want to put extra pressure on the situation, Peter? I don't get it that at the podium, DK Metcalf would 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 make it even tougher for Devin Witherspoon to the extent that he is going to be covering Jamar Chase to have to get it done. I don't know. I don't think it really matters. If if everybody knows that, that Witherspoon is covering him anyway, I doubt that Jamar Chase either exits this week or enters this game thinking, oh, I'll show you. Uh, I mean... He, all, all but this stuff that Peter, doing, Peter, Peter, I got to disagree with you. I got to, Peter. is sticking up for his guy. Go ahead. Disagree. I, I got to disagree with you. Time and again. If you time think again. that you think that Jamar Chase time and again. is going to play harder time to and stick again. it up Devin yes. Witherspoon's yes. rear end? Yes. Time and again, we see comments like this before a game, and you're inclined to poo-poo them, and then something happens in the game where the guy gets it done, and the guy's sticking it in his face, and the guy does get pissed off. If it does happen. They act like it doesn't bother them. And then when they go out there and have a big game, you can see by their reaction that it did. And then the quotes after the game, it did. It does. It's real. They try to downplay it, but it's real. These guys are human beings, and they get pissed off the same way the rest of us do. And why do you want to stir it up at all? When Jamar Chase, who got stirred up on his own because he's not getting the ball, I'm always effing open. That was his quote coming out of their loss when it's kind of like, what the hell's wrong with the Bengals? And then he goes in and he tears up the Cardinals for three touchdowns. I'm just saying, why do you even why do you even want to go in the direction of anything that would get this guy stirred up? Because I do think, I firmly believe that, you know, you get to weeks where you just kind of coast. Hey, I feel good. I had my three touchdowns. We'll go do what we have to do. Yeah, it's going to be a tough challenge. But then why do you, why? it's just, I don't, I think it's an, an emotional and physical game where the more determined you are, it can make a difference. I think it does make a difference at times. So we can disagree on that. I respect your opinion, but I just think we've seen it time and again. There's enough empirical evidence there. Sometimes guys do get pissed off by the things people say, and sometimes it does make a difference in their performance, in their preparation, and everything they do. They become laser-focused all week long to go out there and prove somebody wrong, prove themselves right, do whatever. 
But I think it, I personally think, based on 23 years of covering this sport, it's a real factor that they'll try to downplay it, but then we'll see it play out. If on Sunday night or Monday morning, we hear stuff from Jamar Chase saying, I wanted to stick it up Devin Witherspoon's rear end after what DK Metcalf said. <laughs> if he says anything like that, if he says that, I will, in the immortal words of DK Metcalf, I will tip my cap off to you, Mike Florio. But you know what? I'll bet you right now, I'll bet you right now, uh, two prime tickets to the Seinfeld Film Festival, which I just invented. But I will bet you two prime tickets that that will not happen. And I just, I, I, I think that it, it'd be one thing if DK Metcalf said, Jamar Chase is no match for Witherspoon. I got my guy. He's going to shut him out. He's going to hold him to one catch. He just, all he said was, I'll take my guy in that matchup. I like my guy or whatever his quote was. Big deal. Who cares? It's not like he's saying, he just finished praising Jamar Chase for being great, okay, and for having a great game. And then he said, this week, I'll take my guy. I, I, I just, maybe that's, maybe it's being, covering this league for 40 years, but Stuff that gets talked about during the week, time and time and time and time again, gets forgotten by 9 o'clock Sunday night because it just doesn't matter. I don't know, talk to Tom Brady about that, the guy who's just like Michael Jordan and coming up with anything he can to get himself extra motivated and he'll make some stuff up if he has to. I still think to that divisional round game against the Chargers they won a few years back, and he's on the field talking to Tracy Wolfson after when he said, no one believes in it. It's like, Tom, what the hell are you talking about? Everybody believes in you. But you, you do whatever you can to get that chip on your shoulder, to get that extra focus, to go the extra mile, to make yourself extra prepared, and to be extra emotional about it because it is an inherently emotional and physical sport, and I do think, I do think. See, I picked the, the Seahawks to win the game, but now I'm going to be rooting for Jamar Chase to have three touchdowns again so we can have this conversation next Friday. Either way, either way, it'll be interesting if we remember to compare notes on what happens with Devin Witherspoon and Jamar Chase, and even if he covers him on a regular basis. We shall see. Uh, as to the game itself, I still don't know what to make of the Bengals. They're up, they're down, they're in, they're out. The calf is healing, the calf is aggravated, who knows. But the Seahawks have extra time to get ready. And, Peter, the Seahawks are 16-4 and four since 2018 when they play in the East Coast time zone. This 10 a.m. body clock thing does not phase them. They're That's traveling amazing. today to Ohio. That's amazing. Yeah, they're traveling. They're, to, they're coming today, not tomorrow. They're going to be ensconced. They're going to be acclimated. They're going to be ready to go. <laughs> and I still don't – I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know why they're, the, the Bengals are favored by three in this one. I think the Seahawks are the better team. They've proven it week in and week out, except for that that weird, fluky aberration against the Rams to start the season. They've been getting it done week in and week out. Hell, they went to Detroit and beat the Lions. Look, I, you know, Mike, I find this line fascinating, too, 
But one of the reasons why I believe that this line is the way it is, uh, is, is, I mean, it's a very, very simple reason that everybody looks at what we saw in the Bengals last week as the Bengals. Well, finally, Joe Burrow, something happened, some miracle happened to his calf, some magic wand got uh, you know, waved over his calf and, and he's better now. Did that happen? Did he just say, shoot, I'm going out and playing my game. If I aggravate it, I aggravate it. Who cares? And quite honestly, Mike, I don't think we're going to know if Joe Burrow has aggravated, you know, his, his leg, you know, because you remember how the Patriots always used to play games with the injury report with Tom Brady some weeks he'd be on there with something and then, you know, other weeks he wouldn't be on there and it was almost touch and go, maybe not touch and go whether he'd play, but he really had an injury, you know? And so I kind of look at this and I say, I just don't think you're going to hear very much talk anymore unless Joe Burrow can't play about that, uh, about that injury. And I know we're going to talk about Deshaun Watson in a couple of minutes, But I believe that we have been waiting to see the real Bengals, waiting and waiting and waiting. And last week we saw them. So everybody says, okay, Bengals are back. Let's put them where we think they belong, which is, you know, say in the top seven or eight teams in football. Do we put Seattle in the top seven or eight teams? Maybe right on the border of that. But I think, that the Bengals at their peak, Mike, if Joe Burrow is good, are better than the Seahawks at their peak. I don't disagree with that. I just think one win against the Cardinals isn't enough for us to say the Bengals are back. They've got issues on defense. Their offense, as Chris Sims always says, seems unimaginative and uncreative. And uh, finally, they realize, just throw the ball to Jamar Chase when all else fails. But... I just think the Seahawks with extra time to get ready. They've proven they know how to win in this portion of the country. And I, they probably like the fact that that they're underdogs in this one. They probably like the fact that they're flying under radar. And we'll see how good they are. They've got a hell of a stretch coming up, Peter, starting Thanksgiving. They've got 49ers, Cowboys, 49ers, Eagles. We're going to learn a lot about the Seahawks then. We're going to learn a lot about them on Sunday when they go to Cincinnati and also the Bengals. I agree with you. The Bengals are one of the few teams that can go toe-to-toe with the Chiefs. But they got to win enough games to get to the postseason, and we'll see if they can continue what they started last week. You mentioned Deshaun Watson. Unlike Joe Burrow, who's been playing through that calf injury, Deshaun Watson has a shoulder injury that he suffered nearly three weeks ago in a 27-3 romp over the Titans. He was on the injury report all week in advance of the week four game against the Ravens. And he said himself two weeks ago today, I'm playing, I'm playing. Then came Sunday morning, he didn't play. And the team called it officially a collective decision. Then coach Kevin Stefanski starts talking about it. Sounds like it wasn't a collective decision. He was medically cleared. He decided he couldn't play at his level. GM Andrew Barry comes out and tries to maybe put the toothpaste back in the tube a little bit. It's been a weird ride. And the way they made it sound, medically cleared, non-structural injury. They had two weeks. Now he's not going to play this week either. As you pointed out last night, something weird 
is going on here. And it's playing out one press conference at a time. And the one guy we haven't heard from through any of this is Deshaun Watson. Love to know. Love to know what he thinks about what Kevin Stefanski said when he created the impression that it was Deshaun Watson who tapped out, that he was medically cleared to play. You know, Peter, that's the, the green light that every NFL player is looking for. Give me medical clearance. I'll, I'll go out there in any condition that I'm in. I'm going out to play. You give me medical clearance, that's the one thing that potentially holds me back. You clear me, I'm playing. Yeah, I'm banged up. I'm playing. We're all banged up to some extent. I'm playing. So that thing is hovering over the Browns, and Stefanski, whether he intended it or not, kind of put it there. And I don't know what to make of any of it two weeks removed from the game where Watson says he's going to play, and he ultimately doesn't. I don't know what to make of it either, other than this, Mike. Um, I talked to somebody who has pretty good tentacles inside the Browns organization who asked someone who would know, what's the real story with Deshaun Watson right now? And he said, oh, he's legit hurt. And so I think the weirdest thing that happened here is that the head coach of the team said whatever it was 12 days ago um, that he was cleared, but he didn't think he could go. That, to me, has opened up this door. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing because I don't know what his exact words were, but I think I'm right in saying that. And so I think, Mike, what happens now is you have to ask this question. You know, is this a long-term injury? Is this going to be something that is going to keep Deshaun Watson from playing football for a long period of time? If that is the case, if that's the case, and look, I think P.J. Walker is far more capable right now at this moment in the middle of October, far more capable of playing a competitive game, particularly against a team with a significant pass rush as San Francisco has. He's much more capable than Dorian Thompson-Robinson of playing a competitive game. I didn't say play a winning game. I said play a competitive game. So as I look at it right now, this is just my gut feeling. I think the Browns are doing the right thing and going with P.J. Walker. But I also think that the Browns, if I were the Browns right now, I'd put Deshaun Watson up on the podium. Because, look, when you pay a guy... $46 million a year, whatever his final number is, $45 million a year. And there is this question that everybody who likes the Cleveland Browns, everybody, they want to know just what is going on. If it is indeed innocent, and I just, I have this pain in my shoulder that won't go away. If it's that, he should get up and say it. You know, this, this to me is something that Deshaun Watson, I, I believe, owes his community and owes the, um, you know, the fans of the Browns. What exactly is going on here? And I, I understand the HIPAA laws, all that other stuff, but this is a huge public figure. And there, it, it isn't just some guy, you know, tore his ACL or, or tore his Achilles and he's gone and all that stuff. There is some significant discussion 
over this injury and whether how legitimate it is and everything like that. I believe that it is a legitimate injury based on what I have been told. But I think that the question is out there. You ask the question, you raise the question, and I think a further explanation uh, is warranted. I think he would be playing if he could. This is a guy who took a bus from Houston to Jacksonville right. when he had a bruised lung because he couldn't fly. And and you can only imagine, we were talking about this yesterday, you're riding a bus, it's hitting every divot and imperfection in the road, and you're feeling it rattle your rib cage the whole way. That's not a comfortable way to travel by any means. He took that bus trip there and back after the game. He played with a torn ACL at Clemson. This is no issue of the guy not being willing to go out there and tough it out. He just can't. The problem is when the coach utters the magic words of medical clearance, that's when the existing confusion within the locker room about how this all played out. And, Peter, I got the first call at 5.04 p.m. that Sunday of the Ravens game when he didn't play. There are guys on the team that are not – thrilled with the idea that Deshaun said all week long, I'm playing, I'm playing, I'm playing. Because even though Dorian Thompson Robinson was prepared to play, he really wasn't prepared to play because Watson was telling everybody I'm playing. So it was something that the guys were having a hard time reconciling. And if I know that on the outside, Stefanski has to know that on the inside. So when he throws out the medical clearance at or about the same time he's praising David Njoku for playing with burns on his face and arm and and what a warrior he is for doing that you know he he never linked the two but do you really need to link the two you're praising the guy who's playing with burns on his face and the other guy well he was medically cleared but he didn't think he could play that's a hell of a matzo ball hanging out there for Kevin Stefanski and the Cleveland Browns as Jerry and George once said when George made the mistake of telling Sienna who was named after a crayon that he loves her that's a pretty big matzo ball as Jerry told George and then George threw it out there again because there was a chance she didn't hear him the first time but it turns out she did anyway spoiler oh, I alert, heard you 30 years later <laughs> anyway, anyway yeah I heard you the first time anyway um that's what's strange about this Peter that's the whole it's just weird and the Browns are familiar with weird weird is kind of baked into the DNA of the franchise ever since it returned to the NFL in 1999 it's just a damn shame it's going on because at some point it strains relationships in the organization and you have to wonder you have to wonder what Deshaun Watson is thinking about what Stefanski said is Stefanski looking at Watson saying, man, we're paying you all this money. So what if you're 80%? I'd rather have 80% you than 100% Dorian Thompson Robinson or P.J. Walker. You just wonder what's going on behind the curtain because there's enough that's playing out in front to make those of us with inquiring, curious minds say, I wonder what's going on behind the scenes on this one. Yeah, and so that's why I think he should talk. But so... The other part of this is, you know, about the game itself. What was interesting, I was in San Francisco in Santa Clara on Sunday night for the uh, 49ers-Dallas game. And after the game, obviously a, a San Francisco route of the Cowboys. After the game, I expected the 
49ers to be really high on themselves and 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 all that but I I, I listened to Trent Williams for you know the left tackle of the 49ers for three four minutes and one of the first things he said was listen we I mean we're happy we won this game but we got a we got a guy this week that we got to figure out how to block in Cleveland Miles Garrett who is fantastic and so yeah you know we're happy about that but we're going on the road loud place and we got to figure out how to block their front so to me I don't think this is going to be a game that the 49ers are going to chalk up as a win, you know, when they're flying over Des Moines uh, either tonight or tomorrow morning, whenever it is that they fly. Um, I think they understand that all's fair, uh, you know, when you go on the road in the NFL, particularly against a team that until the last game they played against Baltimore was killing everybody on defense. So I think this is not going to be one of those games. Plus, the Brock Purdy ethos, uh, you know, Brock Purdy is going to take anybody lightly. I don't believe so at all. Um, So I I think this is going to be a competitive game. I think P.J. Walker, he might make some mistakes in this game, but he's a mobile quarterback who is going to make is going to put Cleveland in position to make a few plays. They're just going to have to be sure that this game is played in the teens or very low 20s to have any chance to win, I believe. Well, and the 49ers seem to be operating on a level above everyone else right now. We'll see how they adapt to the reality that they completely dismantled the Cowboys. They still have to check boxes one week at a time. They're pushing toward the number one seed. They've got the Seahawks on their heels, which will give them the motivation. Peter, my own take on the 49ers is they're on a mission this year to dominate. They don't want to leave any doubt. They don't want to have any close games, especially in the postseason. They don't want to leave anything to chance, and they're good enough to do it. If they keep their key players healthy, they're good enough to dominate week in and week out against anyone they would face in the entire National Football League. We're going to look at some of the Week 6 games when we return with a grab bag. It's Friday. It's PFT Live. We'll be back with more right after this. Reality is, I mean, they're really good at it. I mean, it feels like the quarterback is wearing a bulletproof vest when you look at him. He's got all that padding on. But, uh, you know, whether they get it, we're going to do our best to try to stop it. And, you know, the quarterback's got his – and they do a lot of stuff off it, too. They got reverses. They got pop passes. They got stretch plays. They, they do a lot. So you got to be sound. you got to be disciplined. Uh, so we'll, we'll we'll do our best in that regard. And, but if the quarterback carries the ball, we've got to give him 11 kisses and just figure out a way to do that. So, Bree Saul in particular, he's pretty explosive back. Um, what's, the, what's the key, uh, making sure that he stays contained? you got to go kiss him 11 times. <laughs> Put that in the helmet somewhere. <laughs> oh, they heard it. They heard it in Philly. The 11 kisses. Robert Sala trying not to create bulletin board material, but but continuing a theme. And look, Chris said something about this a couple of weeks ago, and he got dragged for it. But the reality is, Peter, with this quarterback push play, you said it yourself in the offseason. It puts the quarterback at risk of being hit because it gives the defense 
the license to treat him like a running back. There was that play last night where Patrick Mahomes was upset because of how he got hit when he was running the ball. It's like, hey, Pat, that's what happens when you're a running back. There was nothing even remotely questionable about the hit he took because he didn't slide. He fell forward, and he got hit in the head. That's what happens to running backs all the time. So if you're going to deploy your quarterback that way, that risk is there. Salah opting for a more passive explanation of what the assignment will be, but I guarantee you, in the locker room, in the meeting room, the word that's being used by Sala is not kiss. Hey, look, you know, Mike, you know what reminded me of how good the Eagles are on this play last night? Middle of the second quarter, the Kansas City Chiefs have a chip shot field goal for Harrison Butker. And what do they do? They morph the formation into a uh, brotherly shove play and, and whatever we're going to call it these days. But, and they failed on it. And the reason that they failed, I am sure about this, is that Mike Westoff and Ben Kotwika, the uh, special teams, uh, the special teams coaches for Denver, Uh, I think Westoff has an assistant head coach designation. But these are the guys guys who run special teams for, uh, you know, for Denver. They were ready. And you saw on the replay how they got low. And they basically interrupted the momentum of what should have been a two-yard gain. Because that's what they needed. They needed two yards. They got about maybe a foot and a half. You know, they really didn't get very much. But after I saw that play, I just kept thinking to myself, everybody knows with the Eagles that it's coming. And they keep succeeding over and over and over again. And I think the biggest key about that, absolute biggest key, is leverage. They get so low in the situation with Jason Kelsey and the two guards in particular. They get so low that they can move, even though they might only move guys 12, 14, 18 inches, they can move guys enough for Jalen Hurts uh, to make a first down. I, I don't know why I, I really thought of that at that point, but to me, everybody in the NFL, everybody's going to school on what Philadelphia is doing. But as Nick Sirianni so eloquently put it, After the game last week, he goes, listen, we have worked on this a lot. And our guys have taken it very seriously of what you have to do to be good at this. And, you know, you got to tip your cap. My my personal feeling is that the play does not belong in professional football. But until such time that there's a rule that makes it illegal, Go for it. Go for it five times a game because you're good at it and they can't stop it. All right, fill in the blank time as the 5-0 and Eagles take on the 2-3 and Jets. Fill in the blank. The Jets can hand the Eagles their first loss of the year if they what? Have a quarterback who completes 80% without turning the ball over, Period. Well, and I'll say start fast and and find a way to stop 
the quarterback push play just once, just to give him something to think about. The Eagles have been flying a little close to the sun on wings of pastrami each week, Peter. They're not dominant. They could have lost two or three of these games. They're not blowing people out like the wings 49ers. Pastrami? So, so it's Seinfeld Friday. Uh, so, um, so anyway, I I I got a little I got a little uh, I got a little crazy yesterday and picked the Jets to win the game, but I think they can. And I I I I I'd feel better about it if they were playing in Philly. Frankly, I think we need a little more uh, support for the quarterback there, and he's going to get it home. But I I think you're right. Quarterbacks got to play well, but uh, they got to start fast, and they got to at least stop that quarterback push play once. Colts and Jaguars. Gardner Minshew going back to Jacksonville. Minshew's looked great this year playing for Anthony Richardson, and he'll be playing for him for a while. Scale of 1 to 10, what's your confidence level in Gardner Minshew the second? 7.8. I love Gardner Minshew. Uh, at the beginning of the year, the, the first time, that, or when we saw Aaron Rodgers go down on Monday night, I thought Joe Douglas should call Chris Ballard. General manager of the Jets should call the general manager of the Colts and say, I'll give you a four for Gardner Minshew. And it turns out, obviously, I don't think Ballard would have taken it, and certainly he won't take it now, because they have a chance, a chance to win a very meh division with Gardner Minshew playing quarterback as long as he doesn't turn it over. I like Minshew. He's not Trevor Lawrence, but he's a good NFL quarterback who every team I think would be happy to have as their backup because he can win multiple games. And I think this is his opportunity over the next month or two to maybe get someone's attention to go be a starter in 2024 elsewhere, have a second act like Geno Smith, starter for a little while, then it bottoms out, you're a backup, and then at some point your opportunity comes along to be a starter again. He's still only 27. He's got a lot of football left in him. My confidence level, I'll put it at nine. I think they're going to win. I think the Colts are going to go to Jacksonville and win this weekend, which leads us to Dog of the Week. And I've got five How I weird like is it, week, by the Peter. way, Mike? Yeah. I, I was just going to very quickly add, how weird is it that the Colts could never beat the Jaguars when they really, really had to? And now, in a game that the Jaguars theoretically are a touchdown better, all things considered, you're picking the Colts. And I said, hmm, nice pick. I might pick the Colts, too. <laughs> it's crazy. Colts had them on the ropes week one, back when we thought the Jaguars yep. were great and we didn't know what to make of the Colts. So they go in there with confidence. They, 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 that team, even though they're all in behind Anthony Richardson, they love Gardner Minshew. He's not trying to usurp the starting quarterback job. He's just trying to win when his number is called. And they love him and they respond to him. And that makes a difference when you're trying to go out there as a team and operate in unison. All right, dog of the week, Peter. Give me your one team that is not favored to win this week that you feel the best about as we end of the weekend. Well, Mike, I'm going to give you a very, very slight preamble in this game or in this little quiz that you're that you're giving me okay and i'm just going to tell you that in my opinion anyway that i didn't have a hard time picking a team because i really feel good about the seattle seahawks going into cincinnati 
And I'm not saying I don't like the Bengals. I like the Bengals a lot. But I have to see more than one week out of the Bengals. And I think especially with the Seahawks coming off a bye, they will be as fresh and as healthy for this game as they have as they will be for any game the rest of the year. You said it about how good they are when they travel. Uh, it's amazing when you think about it. Their record when they go to Eastern time is fantastic. I don't even make that a part of this. I say they're rested. They're playing very, very well. And I think their defense is going to create some real issues for the Cincinnati offense. I've already said I like the Jets. I like the Colts. I like the uh, uh, Seahawks. I like Washington getting two and a half points in Atlanta. But the one I'm going to go to for these purposes, a team we're going to be talking about coming up later, Buccaneers over the Lions. I just like the cream sickles are out, baby. The Bucks feel disregarded. They feel disrespected. They feel overlooked. They're at home. They've had a week to get ready for this one. Baker Mayfield has a chip on his shoulder bigger than his helmet. This is an opportunity for the Buccaneers to put everyone on notice that they should not be overlooked and disregarded any longer. So I like the, the Bucks getting three at home against the Lions. And don't forget on DraftKings Sportsbooks this season, New customers can bet $5 in pocket, $200 in bonus bets instantly, plus all customers can get a no-sweat same-game parlay every single day. Download the app and use the promo code PFTLIVE when you sign up. DraftKings Sportsbook. The crown is yours. More on Lions at Bucks when this Friday edition of PFT Live continues right after this. A couple of former number one overall picks at quarterback trying to get their redemption. Jason Light, GM of the Buccaneers on Baker Mayfield. He has an eternal chip on his shoulder. Now he wants to resurrect his career. Everybody was counting him out and saying he sucks. Lions GM Brad Holmes on Jared Goff, who was the first overall pick two years before Baker Mayfield. We're very proud of Jared. I never thought of him as just a bridge or stopgap or whatever. I always thought that was a lazy narrative. His confidence is sky high. He's playing at a high level right now. That's what Brad Holmes had to say about Jared Goff. Well, it's not a lazy narrative. It was obvious. He was put out on the curb by the Rams. They paid the Lions. To take away both Jared Goff. quarterbacks were put Lions. out by on the curb by the Rams. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But they gave the Lions a first round pick to take Jared Goff's contract. They tucked it into the Matthew Stafford deal. It was a one and a three to get Stafford and an extra one to get rid of Goff. We always thought, and I think it was the obvious take. They're just gonna they're gonna get by with Goff for a couple of years and then move on to somebody else once the guaranteed money has been paid and that's part of what they got the first round pick for it's worked out better than anyone could have expected Peter and Goff goes to Tampa a couple of guys that we thought were done are far from it who do you think has more to prove though right now Goff or Mayfield Mayfield because I think a bad game or two is not going to get anybody to think Jared Goff is not the guy for the Lions. A bad game or two by Mayfield would make uh, people think, and I believe even internally, people think, uh, you know, maybe he's not the guy. And look, this is not necessarily about Baker Mayfield proving in week six that he's the long-term quarterback 
for the uh, you know for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He's got to stack a lot of really good games together for them not to be looking for a quarterback this offseason. It's very, very simple. And look, I think both guys right now are obviously playing some of the best football of each of their careers. So kudos to them. But to think that, you know, that, that time after time, you know, everybody was wrong about Baker Mayfield or that uh, people were, you know, wrong in questioning Jared Goff. I'll just say this one thing about Goff and great for him in absolutely turning the narrative on its head. Sean McVay and the Los Angeles Rams, do you think they didn't want Jared Goff to succeed? Do you think that they gave him this gigantic contract with this sort of questioning, oh, well, we don't know if he's the guy, so let's hand him $130 million. I mean, they thought that he was the guy long-term. And then, for whatever reason, he didn't play well. Okay, I mean, we can go back and microanalyze why that is. And I'd say the same thing about Baker Mayfield. That, you know, to call it a lazy narrative that people were wrong and questioning Jared Goff, well, then obviously you're saying that Sean McVay, uh, you know, started this lazy narrative by giving up on Jared Goff. Okay, so that's one thing. And then you turn over to Baker Mayfield. The Browns gave up on him. Carolina gave up on him. The Rams... If Sean McVay had aggressively tried to keep him in the offseason and said, you're our backup and Matthew Stafford's 35 years old and you never know and I want you leading our offense, he would have signed with the Rams. So let's let's sort of forget this, this stuff about how uh, the media was wrong about this guy, the media was wrong about that guy. It wasn't the media. It was a bunch of teams who cast these guys adrift. I agree with you. Mayfield's got more to prove because we've yet to come to any real conclusions about him. There's been that 2018 looked good. 2019 didn't. 2020, they get to the final eight. They almost beat the Chiefs. The arrow's pointing up for the Browns. They get the Chiefs week one in 21. Looks good again. Doesn't win, but man, they're looking good has that shoulder injury that he incurred while trying to make a tackle, which he shouldn't have done. Throws him off track all of 21. 22, it's the weird Deshaun Watson thing. Goes to Carolina. Carolina was a mess anyway. Then he ends up with the Rams. Man without a country. Four million or so to go sign with the Bucks. He's the one trying to rebuild himself and maybe get to levels he was never at in the first place. With Goff, we've already accepted the fact that his second act, hey, congratulations, it's working. But you know what's looming for Goff, Peter? When the Lions get to the playoffs, and they'll win the NFC North, barring some sort of disaster, they'll win that division. But when they get there and they come up against the 49ers or the Eagles or the Cowboys and Goff gets swallowed up by one of those defenses, that's when Lions fans who got a little taste of what it's like to be a playoff team are going to start thinking, hey, if we want to go next level, if we want to get to the Super Bowl, if we want to say maybe we can win the Super Bowl, 
we need somebody than Jared Goff. And I think at the core, Peter, and I was screaming from the rooftops that the Rams should not pay Jared Goff. They should not do it. And they did it anyway. Not that they'd listen to me. Maybe they wish they had. They came to the conclusion they're not going to win the Super Bowl with Jared Goff. And for now, the Lions aren't even having that question. They're not, they're not audacious enough to think about getting to the Super Bowl and winning it. But once they start getting close to it and Jared Goff does a Jared Goff thing, that's when the fans and the team are going to start thinking, if we want to get all the way to the top of the mountain, I mean, we know which quarterbacks go where. We know which ones can take a team to the top of the mountain and which ones fall in the Kirk Cousins band. Jared Goff's right there in the Kirk Cousins band. He's not going to take you to the top of the mountain. Jimmy Garoppolo's in that band too. Dak Prescott may in that may be in that band as well. He's not going to get you where you're trying to go. For now, the Lions don't care. For Mayfield, the, the Bucks are just glad to be relevant post-Tom Brady. But he's the one who's trying to prove himself, get the contract he's never gotten, rebuild his career. And I like what the Bucs are doing. I like what Mayfield's doing. As I said in the last segment, I think the Bucs are going to win the game. Yeah, I don't. But I also think that you're right about the Bucs. The Bucs are far more competitive. I had them way down before the year, and I've been proven wrong emphatically with three exclamation points. Good for them. Um, I think my feeling about this game is that, you know, I just really like the Detroit front in this game. Maybe not so quietly, Mike, but I think we need to start talking about Aiden Hutchinson as a top five, six, seven edge guy in this league right now. Not he's going to be. This is one of those things that, look, and, and, you know, we got a long way to go. But I think this is going to be one of those things where after a couple of years, a year or two into the future, people are going to say, how in the world could the Jacksonville Jaguars have passed on Aiden Hutchinson? Uh, I just think the guy is absolutely terrific. He plays with a verve and a vigor uh, that is very Tasmanian devilish. And, and I just think, I think he's going to be really good for a long time. And this is a guy, and look, I love the Tampa tackles. This is going to be a great matchup, uh, you know, with that, with that front versus two excellent Tampa tackles. So, I mean, to me, I love this game, but I just think that uh, Detroit has got a little bit too much, uh, it, both in the running game uh, and defending everything that an offense can do uh, for Tampa. Sam Laporta, the great tight end rookie for the Lions, was added to the injury report on Thursday. Didn't practice with a calf injury. Mike Evans was limited for the Bucks. He's coming back from a hamstring injury and also a pretty good chance Amon Ross St. Brown plays for the Lions this week. He has missed some time. But great game and great look for the Bucks back in the creamsicle uniforms on Sunday against the Detroit Lions. First time in a very long time we will have seen Bucko Bruce on the side of that white Tampa Bay helmet. All right, when we return, <laughs> can things possibly get worse for the New England Patriots? We're going to talk Pats Raiders when PFT Live continues right after this. Yeah, I mean, I I think we, I mean, we've kind of, the horse is dead. We've beat it enough. You know what I mean? I mean, it is what it is, you know? So, um, you know, every week you got somebody, 
used to play there, or they know somebody on that staff, or whatever it is. So, um, yeah, it's the it's game six for us. Josh McDaniels, former Patriots offensive coordinator. The horse is dead. People will beat the horse anyway. The reunion game with Bill Belichick. And really, that is a secondary, if not tertiary, storyline going into this one. Because the big news is the house is on fire in New England. And they got no water to put it out with. 72-3, to they've lost the last two games. I get 38-3 to the Cowboys. 34 nothing as the follow-up game after the wake-up call is inexcusable by the New England Patriots. If they don't win this one, Peter, and fall to 1-5, and five, losing to McDaniels and the Raiders, a Raiders team that is kind of good but far from great. I still don't know how they beat the Packers on Monday night. If the Patriots lose, what does this really mean for Belichick? I feel like it's already a foregone conclusion that it's over when the season ends. Can he actually make it to the end of the season? Like, if they can't win a game over the balance of the month, is it possible that that there's a mutual parting before Thanksgiving? I don't know. I mean, I've thought about that, Mike, and I've thought about Bill O'Brien coaching this team, uh, but it just seems a little bit weird. I I found myself thinking this week, Mike, that this is the 500th NFL game that Bill Belichick is going to coach. That should normally be cause for celebration. I feel like there is black crepe paper hanging over this franchise right now. Like... There's nothing to look forward to. There's no optimism. There's no hope that Mac Jones in this current climate can be the long-term quarterback. I mean, normally this is a a gigantic number. You know, imagine coaching 500 NFL games. It's incredible. And, And now it's like, oh, geez, just get through it. That's the weird thing about this. And the fact is that the two worst losses of his career were in games number 498 and 499. So obviously, you know, this team right now has to try to, as Bill Belichick said this week, we have to start over. And I think that's a really good thing to say to his team. You know, people probably wonder this week, well, geez, did Bill Belichick browbeat his team? Did he kill him? Did he do everything? Guys like Bill Belichick and Bill Parcells always treat their teams worse in times of prosperity than they do in times where they're absolutely at the bottom of the barrel. Remember, in 2007, when Randy Moss and Dante Stallworth are sitting in their first team meeting ever as members of the New England Patriots, And one of the first things that Randy Moss and Dante Stallworth hear is Bill Belichick calling out Tom Brady, at the time, the three-time Super Bowl champion, calling out Tom Brady, calling him Johnny Foxborough could have made that throw. Well, he's not ripping into Mac Jones this week because he understands Mac Jones is down And he understands that he's got to spend some time, and Bill O'Brien does, in telling him, hey, look, things are not as bad as they seem. Here's what you've done well the last couple of weeks. I think the Patriots are going to come out and play a good game in Vegas. I don't know that they're going to win the game, but this is the time when a coach like Bill Belichick, I think, is at his best. 
when he is totally up against it. I don't know that they're going to win, as I say, but I think they're going to play well in Vegas. I think they will, too. But, you know, I thought they would last week. I thought after losing as badly as they did to the Cowboys, they would wake up and find a way to compete with a Saints team that is not nearly in the same category as the Cowboys. The Mac Jones thing, one point I want to make. I did a podcast interview yesterday with Tom Curran of NBC Sports Boston, and it occurred to me for the first time, the lingering impact of last year, that Frankenstein monster experiment with Matt Patricia and Joe Judge running the offense, it basically wiped out a year of Mac Jones' career. He's not a third-year quarterback. He's a second-year quarterback, and he's also carrying the scars of everything that went wrong last year. All those opportunities last year to become more confident and to grow and to develop, they were trashed. So they're rebuilding that. In addition to where he should be in year three, he's rebuilding the damage that was done last year. And I just think it's done for him in New England. It's done for Belichick after this season, unless they turn things around in a way that we've never seen a team under Bill Belichick have to turn it around. It feels like it's heading toward the end. All right, we're heading toward the end. But before we get there, show me something. Week six, we'll do that draft next here on PFP. All right, favorite time of the week as we get ready for the full slate of Sunday games. The Show Me Something draft, which isn't just somebody who's maybe under pressure, just somebody that we aspirationally would like to see them go out and have a big performance. So with that very broad definition, Peter, who do you want to show you something this weekend? Show me something, Justin Fields. You're going to say, who cares about the Vikings and the Bears? I'll tell you who cares about the Vikings and the Bears. That is Ryan Poles, the general manager of the Chicago Bears. That is Justin Fields, the quarterback of the Chicago Bears. Every week for the rest of the year, Justin Fields is auditioning for 2024. The Bears are not going to win much of anything this year except probably the privilege to draft high in this coming draft. So what I would like to see happen is I'd like to see Justin Fields play football, not just to survive and not just to, to, to run around and, and rush for 108 yards and every. I want to see him execute this offense with a very good receiver in DJ Moore and then complimentary receivers besides that. And whether it's going to be in Chicago or whether it's going to be somewhere else. Justin Fields, show me something. Stake your claim for a job somewhere, hopefully Chicago, in 2024. Show me something, Jack Del Rio. Show me anything, Jack Del Rio. Show me something more than a dust-up on defense after you've had extra time to get ready for a Falcons offense that isn't led by a future Hall of Fame quarterback, although Desmond Ritter did look pretty good in his last outing against the Houston Texans. The the flames are growing on everyone's seat in Washington as Josh Harris gets more ensconced as owner and as Magic Johnson, who is always smiling, was not smiling while watching the commanders get dismantled by the Bears eight days ago. The defense needs to step up. Del Rio's the guy in charge of it. They need to make something happen in Atlanta where they are underdogs. They should be able to win this game. The defense is going to need to step up, and it all comes back to Del Rio. So show me a dust-up, 
Jack Del Rio. You now have set a PFT record for using the word ensconced most times. I know. I, know. I used one it twice. Show. I know. Twice. That's twice. The over-under was one That's and a half. That's twice. And that is it. Yeah. I know. It's fantastic. Yeah. No, the over-under was only a half. Come on. Show me something, <laughs> Dak Prescott. Really, show me something, yes. Dak Prescott. You're talking about right now, Dak Prescott. You know, a long time ago, Mike, I know you don't care about baseball, but I really do. And a long time ago, when the New York Yankees owned the Boston Red Sox, Pedro Martinez called the New York Yankees his daddy. And right now, the San Francisco 49ers are Dak Prescott's daddy. He's put up 19, 12, and 10 points in three huge games against the San Francisco 49ers. So how do you recover from three bad losses with everybody thinking, you you know, you can't get over the 49ers? You know what you do? You go back to California on Monday night. You play in front of a ruckus home crowd at SoFi Stadium because that crowd will be 77% Cowboys fans. And you go out there and you say, all I can do is play my best today. I can't fix what happened last week. I can fix myself right now for this game. Show me something, Dak Prescott. Go beat the Los Angeles Chargers in L.A. Show me something, Odell Beckham Jr., the receiver to whom the Ravens paid $15 million fully guaranteed with a reachable incentive package of $3 million on top of it, has not done much so far. Now, he's played in three games, missed two with an ankle injury, seven catches, 79 yards, no touchdowns so far this year, and an unreasonable amount of trust displayed in Beckham when Lamar Jackson threw a ball to the end zone last week when the Ravens could have put the dagger in the Steelers. Well, OBJ today isn't the guy he was eight, nine years ago who goes and makes that catch, finds a way around the defender to snatch the ball. Beckham is trying to justify his spot on the team. He's trying to justify his pay. He's trying to turn the clock back, and I hope he does. The guy I see now isn't the guy that we were accustomed to seeing. He's going to London. He's looking for an opportunity to get back to what he's been, and I'm rooting for him to do it. But show me something on Sunday in London. On Sunday in London against the Titans, show me something, Odo Beckham Jr. One more round. We'll do it when PFT Live continues right after this. All right, one more round. Show me something, Draft Week 6. Peter, you're up. Show me something, Desmond Ritter. The Atlanta quarterback showed signs of life last weekend in beating Houston. Wasn't a great game, but at least he was accurate, did not throw a pick in the game, and he's now facing a team that surprisingly is allowing 32 points a game. Show me something, Desmond Ritter. Beat a team that you're supposed to beat. I can't say show me something Daniel Jones because it looks like he's not going to play. So how about show me something Tyrod Taylor? The quarterback the Bills threw overboard when they got Josh Allen, even though Tyrod took them to the playoffs in 2017. He goes back with an all-time winning record, 26-25-1 as a starter. If he gets the shot on Sunday, well, run for the hills because it's the Giants versus the Bills and the Giants have no chance. See you Monday.